This episode is brought to you by Bruno Mars and Travi McCoy and their inspirational quote, I want to be a billionaire so fucking bad. Buy all of the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. Welcome to the Stefan Dyer Podcast, my people. People, welcome to the Stefan Dyer podcast, where I welcome people with remarkable stories for amazingly vulnerable conversations. I am Stefan Dyer, former banger turned comedian and lifestyle entrepreneur, and this episode with Maricel Science was jaw dropping. My people, to see a fellow Costa Rican succeed in Canada, in the U.S. Killing it in San Francisco. For me, it was just really, really beautiful to watch. Maricela Science is the sole founder and CEO of Compound Foods, which is sustainably producing the world's first beanless coffee. I want to repeat that because it's pretty impressive. The world's first beanless coffee. Well, what do you mean? What is this? Well, what is Compound Foods? Compound Foods is a food tech startup focused on creating coffee without coffee beans through precision fermentation. As the yield and quality of coffee are affected by the increases in temperature around the world and unpredictable weather conditions, Maricel Science aims to create future-proof coffee better for the planet. Though the company is still pre-revenue, Maricel has managed to raise $5.3 million, ladies and gentlemen, and... She was recently named in Forbes 30 Under 30 for social impact. How impressive is that? Forbes 30 Under 30, social impact. That is huge. I can't believe it. She, When I spoke to her, when I spoke this interview, it was really clear why she's accomplished everything she's accomplished. I love that she's just as humble, captivating, charismatic as always. Since like I met her five years ago, she hasn't changed a bit, and I'm so happy for her success. If you like this episode, share it, give us a review, screenshot it on your Instagram stories, and tag us because we love it at Insta at Stefan Dyer and at Maricel Science on Instagram on. LinkedIn everywhere and anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, she is a Forbes 30 under 30 recipient for social impact. She's smart. She's charismatic. Enjoy this episode with Maricel Science like I know you will in three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Stefan Dyer podcast. I have here the unbreakable, the unmistakable, the highly capable, tackling (laughs) incredible, amazing problems all over the world. The legendary Maricel Sainz. How are you, my friend? Hi, Stefan. I'm great. How are you? Very good. Very good. We were just talking behind the scenes and I wanted to ask you, but I didn't because I wanted to ask you live. Do you remember how we met and how we got to connect? Because I feel we have a lot of friends in common from Costa Rica, where Mm -hmm. uh, we're both from. But I don't remember 
how we connected and met in person? So what I remember is when I was living in Toronto, I went to one of your shows, but yes. I don't know if we'd met, it would connected before and you're like, hey, I'm having a show come. Or if I was just fangirling and I was like, there's a Costa Rican <laughs> stand-up comedy and just showed up. And I have a feeling that it's the second one. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. I don't remember what happened. Do you remember what show that was? Because um, I, I remember seeing pictures of a show and you were there. Yeah, yeah, I sat at the front row. Um, I went alone. I used to do so. I was so fun back in the day. Um, but yeah, I don't remember what show it was. I remember it was funny. But <laughs> I'm happy it was funny. <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Well, amazing. it was a bar. So, yeah. Yeah, it was at a bar downtown Toronto, probably 120 Church, which doesn't exist anymore because of the pandemic. Really? You said about that, but still had five amazing years there. And I was going going over your Instagram, the compounds, uh, compound foods, Instagram, your LinkedIn, the articles that have been written about you and compound. And before we jump into the coffee chat, mm-hmm. I want to ask you, you're one of those really exciting people on Instagram that I always want to know what, what they're up to. It feels like one day you're just going to be like, Hey guys, excited because tomorrow I'm going to space. <laughs> so exciting so brilliant but the thing that really gets me is you're it's not like a bragging you're just like matter of fact changing the world and i i really really thought where did this like where did my cell come from she's conquering everything so the first question is can you summarize the last 15 years in two minutes like high school in costa rica uh, university job cities because you've been all over the place why toronto and mm-hmm. why now san francisco yeah and i miss toronto and it's funny because social media is very tricky for me because um i struggle with that thing it's like i want to share because i feel like it could be like so cool for so many people to know what we're up to but at the same time i really don't want to brag so it's kind <laughs> of like it's really hard for me to like share and I, i have a lot of people telling like if you do it honestly like it will be fine so I'm going to try to share more because um, it's fun and it's interesting. And I think hopefully we can bring more people along the journey. But here it goes. Born and raised in Costa Rica. I'm actually half Panamanian. So 50-50. Mm. Um, I actually decided I was I thought I was going to be a lawyer. So I went to the Universidad de Costa Rica for six months um, right after high school because everyone told me I was so good with words. I could be a lawyer. Um, and then I was there and I was like, Holy, I don't like this. I am not happy. I hadn't really applied to a ton of schools. I, like UBC recruits really hard at my high school. And I had like applied out of a whim. And I literally told my parents, I was like, I can go for a year. If I hate it, I'll come back. But I feel like I just need to go and try something different. So I ended up at UBC and I had applied to because it was like the warmer side of Canada. And at the time, I really didn't want to come to the States. So it wasn't like a very like thoughtful process of like BBC because it's like, you know, it was more like "Mm, Canada, warmer. It looks amazing. I showed up in Vancouver for the first time in my life. Um, I'd never been to Canada. And I always remember this, that I did like the, the international orientation and the guy like walks me to my room at the dorm and he turns around and he says, welcome home and leaves. And I was like, what the hell did I just do? It was like a really, like, I still remember that moment. And I remember I played my, my país and went to bed. And I was like, <laughs> I'm here, you know, let's go to So I went to UBC um, and I was there for four years uh, studying business. So I initially thought I was going to do international business. 
um, and then got really enamored with entrepreneurship. So I discovered during my time at UBC what social entrepreneurship was. Um, during the summers, I spent one summer in South Africa working with entrepreneurs and how do we use entrepreneurship as a tool to get them to have their own businesses so they weren't depending on the mine. Um, and then on I did. I also went to Cambodia with the same program in my university to try to help women create their own livelihood by doing like homestead food production. Um, and this whole time I was like, if we can create businesses that are sustainable and that are solving a social cause, it's way better than charity, right? It's like giving financial aid doesn't really work, but you invest in people, invest in problems, then they're motivated to solve them and you make it a way more sustainable way to continuously solve that problem. So during that time at the university, I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, it felt like my thing. In my last year, I did a class. I don't know if I'm doing two minutes, but- um, No, you're good. You're good. Continue. What it was like a year long, and you put together three engineers and three business students to create a business. Um, and we started working on developing wearable technology for children with autism and how we could use the use these tools to predict anxiety. We worked on it for a year, we won business competitions, and I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I'm not ready. I was like 22 and I was like, I have no idea how the real world actually works. Sorry, just, sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you one second. Can you explain wearable technology for kids with autism so that you can prevent or pr uh, predict anxiety? Yeah. So the whole um, the problem is that a lot of children with autism have a hard time communicating how they feel. Right. And they're yeah. like a lot of times hypersensitive. So we wanted to have wearable technology where we could track indicators like temperature, heart rate and sweat and use those to predict anxiety. So that parents could tell when those indicators were changing, then their kids weren't feeling well and that something in their surrounding was creating anxiety and they oh, couldn't triggering it. it, triggering it. Yeah. Um, so right that, on. you know, they could instead of like, if let's say there's a dog and the dog's barking and they can say, mom, I'm scared of the dog, but they can feel, you know, you can see yeah. their heart rate going up. Then you can be like, Hey, I'm going to take you away from the dog. Cause you're scared. Or I'm going to, yeah. you know, make that interaction be, you know, a little bit more. So you could see the patterns based on the technology. Yeah. 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 So, um, a couple of the engineers were like, this is amazing. We're getting like so much traction. We're having so much interest. We talked to so many parents. They're like, we're going to take it and make it a startup. And they did. And that startup is still running out of Toronto. Um, and what? they're making revenue five years later. Yeah. I don't, I, I feel like I was at the very like initial parts of it because once I graduated, I was like very, so it's completely their thing. Um, but for me, it was kind of like the bite where I was like, I want to do this. This is a way where we can actually solve problems but I need to really understand how the world works. So I joined the corporate world and I went to monitor Deloitte to management consulting, which is like completely different. Yeah. Um, I joined the office in Vancouver and then I was uh, transferred to Toronto because, you know, Toronto is a way bigger city. We had bigger projects, bigger clients. It was just a way more exciting place to be work-wise. And I was there to learn. So I was like, I'm here to learn. I'm going to work really, really hard so I can learn the most that I can in the least amount of time so I can go do what I really want to do. And so that's that when was I moved to Toronto. when we met. Yep. So that's what I was doing in Toronto. I was working for Monitor Deloitte and consulting. Um, I worked, try to get as close to their innovation arm as possible. So try to work on some of their innovation projects. Um, and that's where we met. And I love Toronto. I was there for not long enough. It was a very different city than Vancouver. And it was like the East Coast. It's a five-hour direct flight to San Jose. You know, with the time yeah. difference, I could be home for dinner. <laughs> Going to Vancouver, it's like a day travel, right? Um, and I was loving Toronto. But, you know... After almost two years, I was like, I don't, you know, this, this feels right. Like I, I really, this is, this is not my path. I don't, I don't want to do consulting. I don't want to do the corporate world. So, um, I applied to this program called Singularity University. 
Funny story, when we were doing the project in UBC, we applied to go to Singularity because they only pick like 90 people um, and some countries send people. So Canada, of course, because they're so forward, they were sending people. Um, so we applied with the project and we won, but the candidate had to be Canadian, had to be over the age no. of 21 and had to have the summer free. So only one of our engineers, who's now the CEO of the project, she was the right person to go, went to the program. And I remember thinking one day I'm going to go. But I couldn't at that time. So, you know, fast forward two years later, um, Costa Rica opens up our own challenge because this uh, woman called Priscilla had gone the year before and she was like, we need to send more Costa Ricans. So she organized, she got sponsors, she got the government involved. She's like, we're going to send Costa Ricans. So I applied to that in 20, uh, early 2017. And I went to Singularity. So just for context, what is Singularity University? Yeah. So Singularity is, used to be, they've, they've changed their model. They had this program called the Global Solutions Program, where they put together like 90 people from all around the world and talked about exponential technologies with the goal of how do we use them to positively impact people's lives. Yes. So after like everything I'd Incredible. done in university, I was like, this is, you know, where I go to learn how we actually use these tools. So um, I went in the summer of 2017, I came to the Bay Area. And I haven't left since. Uh, but that was kind of like my return to the West Coast as well. I was like, oh, no, I was already in the East Coast. And all that. <laughs> but it's okay. You know, West Coast, best coast for sure. Um, and then I did Singularity and I met there a Peruvian who was finishing his PhD out of uh, Jennifer Doughton's lab, who's now a Nobel Prize winner on um, CRISPR what? and synthetic biology. And he had an idea about how we could engineer viruses to result, to solve or to have a solution for antibiotic resistance. And for me, the scope of the problem was just so intriguing. And it was just like, it's such a humongous problem that if we have even the smallest impact, we could like really move the needle. So I worked on antibiotics for two and a half years, um, right after Singularity. I went back to Deloitte. I quit my job. They were very supportive. Um, they were like, go ahead, do, you know, do things. Come back if you want to. They were same, great, actually. They same were with really me excited. at Scotia when I quit the yeah. bank to do comedy. It felt like some of them were like, you save yourself. Save <laughs> yourself. What, if we can't, you go do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They were actually like really incredible about it. Um, and they were like, they actually said, why don't you try it out for a year? And if it doesn't work, we'll hold your spot. What? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, which I, I realize it's a huge privilege as an entrepreneur to have that fallback because it's like you can take a lot of risks knowing that, you know, they'll they'll wait. Um, and I think that's that speaks very highly of them and, and the and team at Toronto. And yeah. it's easier to be creative and perform when you're not stressed about the uncertainty of the future in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you still have like when we started Next Biotics, it was like we lived like the really like we had a, we had a hundred thousand dollars right for two people a lab lap materials ip lawyers that's you know insane. like that's nothing it's like we were living we were paying like we were paying our food and our rent that's wow. that was the deal and with that you know just like trying to get enough to like raise more money so we did definitely live like the scrappy entrepreneur so life if you could describe to a 10 year old what next biotics did how mm -hmm. would you describe it so, um, so ten year. Okay, so there are these organisms called bacteriophages, which are actually the natural predators of bacteria. Right. So, bacteria has these little viruses that attach themselves, and they, um, in many cases, kill them. These phages are normally really, you know, uh, benign organisms. Um, so, what we were trying to do 
was to modify them so that when they uh, were killing bacteria, they would kill all of them or that they would kill specific bacteria that were creating problems in antibiotic resistance that were either too prominent or too resistant. Wow, <laughs> this is... A- yeah. This is pretty intense. Smart people. Smart people. I love it. Very um, deep tech, uh, intense biotech research work. And how did Let's you go that. from, okay, lawyer yeah. thing didn't work out, business at UBC, management consulting. Now you taste the, the, the side of the corporate, the business, show me the money. And now you're talking about bacteria and organisms, but yeah. you didn't study life sciences. Not at all. And when I remember that the biggest thing that Singularity did for me, besides the like I finding my co-founder and the amazing friends that I still have from it, is it absolutely changed my mind about what I was capable of. I remember having conversations being like, yeah, you know, like we could start any company, but for example, <laughs> me, like I'm never going to start a company in biology because I'm not a biologist. And this guy um, who was like one of the facilitators was like, you absolutely can you know, you're like 20 at that time. I was like 25. He was like, you're 25. If everything goes right, you could live up to a hundred years. Why are you going to define what you've done for the last really like less than 10 years of your life? What are you going to do in the future? What you need to do is develop the curiosity and the capacity to learn what you need to learn. Oh, and that completely so broke what I was like, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not a scientist, but I've spent a lot of time trying to understand. Right. Like how do scientific developments happen? How do we apply them? Who really knows what they need to do? And it's kind of like not thinking that I have to do everything myself, but it's exactly kind of how do we build the puzzle? How do we bring the right pieces, the people that can go really deep, the people that can go, you know, um, really wide in the different scientific topics. And um, it was a complete change of mind. And then I, I got into like biotech and I'm like, what is this? Both my parents are doctors, <laughs> which I feel like I could call them and be like, does this make any sense? Um, but it was just learning. So I spent like two and a half years learning, like what is synthetic biology? Who's here going to the conferences, having conversations, being super okay with being the less smart person in the room and being like, yeah, I have no yeah. idea what this is going on. Please teach me. Um, I'm learning a lot. That's incredible. And I, I feel like not putting the past in the future when it comes to life and entrepreneurship in general, just opens up the floodgates to so many different things. And at the same time, I feel like knowing the technical part of it, if we were to graph out like your life, yeah, maybe at the beginning, in general, on average, being really technical at the beginning is is knowing the technical part of the business is really important. But as you go down the line, it's it's more important to to be able to delegate, to be able to sell, to be able to influence. So you don't need to know everything. You just need to know enough to be able to communicate with the people that have to know everything to move the needle. So what yeah. happened after Singularity University and the, uh, what was the name? Next, next, next biotics. Next biotics. Yeah. So I always think next biotics was like my MBA. <laughs> I was like, instead of going to an MBA, I did this because I learned so much. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of things we got right and a lot of things we didn't get right. But, um, we ended up trying to replace the use of antibiotics in food because 80% of antibiotics go to food. So we were trying to replace, um, how antibiotics are used in things like poultry production. I was a very strict vegetarian at the time. I hadn't had like any, you know, meat for the last three years. I ended up having conversations of like, how do we kill chickens more efficiently? Um, (laughs) And it's kind of like, 
it was such a kind of like separation between where I wanted to be personally and where I knew the business had to go, right? It was like, we've done a lot of work. That's where, you know, our best go-to-market entry point was. Um, but it became, it started to become really hard for me to kind of like come home and, you know, merge those two worlds together. And ultimately, um, I think the conversation around climate change has really accelerated. And actually the time at Singularity was focused on climate change. It was like, how do we use this technology for climate change? It was the first time they'd done it with a theme. So this whole time I was having this, um, feeling of guilt of being like, yes, we're solving a huge problem, but we're not solving like, you know, like the daunting hurricane that's coming towards us. And yeah. after a couple of years, I was like, I really, I really want to do work that is related to climate change so that I can like look at those news and be like, okay, I might not be solving that whole thing, but like I'm contributing a little bit. Um, so I left Next Biotics in early 2020. My co-founder took it over um, to kind of like drive through to the technical milestones that we had. At that time, we had a partner that was like ready to commercialize our product. Um, and I left, which was hard. It was really yeah. hard for me. Um, it was, it's important for me to say that like the big vision um, like didn't come to life. And for me, although it sounds ugly and like in Costa Rica, people don't like talking about these things. It was a failure. If you think about it for me, from like what I set out to do and what I was actually able to do. But I think it's also important for me to be able to say it and say, I learned so much from it, you know, and, and it was a really important part of my career. And I think it was important that it didn't work the way that I planned it yeah. out. But yeah. I feel like it's very important that you have those moments where it doesn't work out. Because, I mean, if we just look at zeros and ones, maybe like a zero is a failure, but you it's your MBA. Like I, I like to say that my MBA was quitting the bank because- in these four years, I've said this in many interviews, finally, after four years of quitting the bank, I'm now making more money than I used to make at the bank. But I was eating shit for four years until I could finally make it or make it. You know, it, it's subjective yeah, is, at the yeah. end of the day. But you're learning all these skills that become stepping stones for the next project. And like Steve Jobs says, I know it's cheesy, but it's super important in that I think Stanford graduation speech where he's like, you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Yeah. And it's huge, you know, because you don't really know where you're going to go and deeply grateful to the bank as well. Same, similar to you and Deloitte, because had I gone straight into what I do now into comedy, into training and development, teaching com companies how to leverage humor for better business results. Had I done that, out of high school or out of university, I would have failed miserably. <laughs> so seven years at the bank became my like big, big, big experience for me to be able to make it. And then when it comes to product market fit, a lot of people talk about product market fit, but there's also product market founder fit. Yeah. So luck luckily I found a, a business partner in Juan as you know, we both quit the bank together to pursue our professional careers in comedy. And then we found in Malpensando and Rethink, he's in, he did marketing and graphic design and branding. And I did finance. And so I, I do finances and the operations in the company. And he does all the marketing and branding. So it was really good because we've kind of complemented each other. Where did the... Um, did you, do you want to say something? Because I was going to go into no, I'm just laughing at thinking about you at the bank. And I feel like I saw a video of like when you came home and like changed your clothes from like the suit to like your actual what you wear. <laughs> and I just I was just thinking about that because 
I thought about it the same the other day when I was like dressing up to go to a meeting. And like, I just feel like I can now dress however the hell I want. And yeah. like, it's even more of a, like a self-expression. And even at next products, I would be like, I have to wear a blazer and like, I have to wear makeup and I'm going to wear my glasses so that I look older and all these things that were like still like playing a role. And I feel like all the time that I was at Deloitte as well, like I would dress up, you know, like in the corporate yeah. world, with like a blazer and a skirt. And like, <laughs> and then I'm thinking about it. And I was like, that was so not me. Right. And like, even things of like being able to wear whatever you want and like work however you want um it's an absolute privilege that also yeah. allows you to do your best work and like now that i see oh. like wearing a turtle like you would never wear that to the bank but you know no. it's also a great expression of i don't know feeling aligned with with where you want to go yeah <laughs> there's a big there's a big investor that you probably aren't know because he's in san francisco he, he's the ceo or the founder of angel list his name is naval yeah and I fucking love his podcast. Well, there's like a big, big episode called uh, how to build, how to get rich or something, but it's really how to build wealth everywhere mm-hmm. in your life. It's three hours. It's a compilation of all the episodes about becoming rich or becoming wealthy in all the areas of your life. And he just like breaks it down what it takes to make it anywhere to become wealthy, to become successful. And one of my favorite quotes, which has become like a, centerpiece for my life is escape escape competition through authenticity and now we can be authentic and just be a hundred percent ourselves and nobody can be maricel science because you're the you can be the you can only be the best maricel science that you can be because you're the best person at being you it sounds cheesy and weird but it takes time to develop that authentic self and to discover what you actually want to do. So those failures in on quotations here are just part of you peeling the layers of the onion to become whoever you want to become and go in pajamas. If you want to just like solve the, the, the problem of coffee, you know, and, and yeah. climate change. And the other day, um, someone in my team told me that they'd seen a video of me um, talking about next biotics. And they said, you look like a different person. And that was two years, like not that long ago. And I was like, I was a different person. You know what I mean? Like the way that I came across was very different, Uh, but it was so powerful that um, they'd seen it, you know, like it didn't come from me. They're like, I saw this video and I see you every day and you (laughs) seem so different. Uh, I hope I was like, I hope in a good way. I don't know. (laughs) Compound foods grew out of your deep concern as a Costa Rican about the future of coffee. I read your articles. Can you tell us, uh, a bit more about that. It seems like coffee is one of the biggest polluting crops in the valley chain. I read it was fifth on the totem pole of polluting crops. Yeah. So where did compound foods come from and how has it evolved in these past two years? Yeah, it's evolved a ton, actually. Um, so I, you know, after Next Biotics, I was like, I want to do climate change and I wanted to do food. Um, I think a lot of the reason I wanted to do food is because I was surrounded by a lot of food entrepreneurs. So my roommate, when I was at Next Biotics, is the co-founder and CEO of Finless Foods, which means like our Halloween party was packed with like food tech founders. I could see all these people like reinventing milk, reinventing um, fish, reinventing meat. And I was like, this has so much potential because, you know, I definitely drank the Kool-Aid when you hear people pitching. <laughs> (laughs) many different ways. Um, 
And I'd been actually, even before leaving Nexbiotics, I'd been worried about coffee because coffee is in a complicated spot where it's kind of like a double-edged problem where yes, it's really polluting. It's like fifth when you look at carbon emissions, but it's also at risk, right? So it only grows in certain region of the world where Costa Rica, we're lucky to sit in. Um, and it does because Costa Rica, like we're close to the equator, you know, we don't have winters, we don't have intense yes. summers. And like, if you think about where it's grown in Costa Rica, it's like very temperate, like nice, like mountain weather, but that's changing, right? It's getting warmer and warmer. We're having floods in some places, droughts in other, frosts in other. And what's happening is coffee is a very sensible crop and it's not being able to grow in those environments anymore. Um, and we're already seeing the effects like this year alone, there was a frost in Brazil. Uh, the price of coffee is the highest it's been in almost seven years because they're predicting that not only was the 2021 crop affected by the 2022. So I initially thought, why don't we grab a coffee plant and we modify it so we can resist higher temperatures and need less water. And that way we can grow it and it's going to be more resistant. And then... Um, so just to stop you there to understand. Yeah. So you're going to modify the crop. So the coffee is not going to grow in the lab. It's going to be modified in the mountains and... Or, or leave, oh yeah, so that was my first idea, but that ain't gonna work. So that was my first plan, and then this guy who's was an mentor at the time and became my first investor was like, I mean, if you want to try it, I'll help you out, but <laughs> it's gonna take you like seven to ten years. There's this really really cool project called Modified um, that is a partnership between farmers in Hawaii and Cornell University where they modified a papaya to make it resistant to a virus that was like decimating the crop and they modified the papaya and now the virus can't kill the papaya and it's delicious, but it took them, I think between seven and eight years. So and not just, in the lab. Yeah. They modified like they did um, the modification in the lab and then they planted it in the soil. Oh, okay. And so, so was, that, and the papaya looks the same. So that was the original plan. The, the, the first idea yeah. was to modify the coffee plant, the seed. Yeah. And then yeah. go plant it. That would take seven to ten years. So that didn't seven happen. Seven to ten years to do the research, plus oh, five wow. years for the coffee plant to grow. Wow! So like we just don't have that. I don't have that much patience, and we don't have that much time. <laughs> um, so that idea didn't work. And then um, we kind of like reassessed what coffee was from like a first principles perspective. And really coffee is an extraction of chemical compounds, right? And what we're drinking, like what I'm drinking here, it's like what we extract from the coffee bean, that it's chemical compounds that smell and taste and have caffeine and make us feel in a certain way. So we were like, why do we need to, you know, modify the plant to grow it, to pick it, to process it, to roast it, to brew it? Or can't we just recreate what the liquid is in a more efficient way? Um, and that's what we set out to do, to be like, can we understand what makes coffee coffee um, and then recreate it with biology, trying to make engineer um, yeast strains so that they can produce those compounds, use different agricultural substrates that can help us with the mass and um, look at fermentation. So fermentation is this amazing ancient technology in which we can have cultures that transform foods, that can transform milk into cheese and that it can transform milk into like mozzarella cheese, which is very simple, or you can transform milk into like gorgonzola or like, you know, like really complex cheeses through changing the process. Um, so what compound foods looks like today is we are recreating coffee without the coffee beans. We use agricultural substrates, and that means other seeds, grains, cereals, as much as we can. We try to use byproducts of other processes. So think about a process that you know has waste, like the seeds, and we can grab those. 
And we have developed fermentation processes and technologies where we can have the cultures help us make it taste and smell like coffee. And we brew it. Um, and today we are, our first product is a cold brew and our cold brew doesn't have any like genetically engineered um, components now, but we're also doing research in the long term because we, uh, we think that's going to help us improve the quality of our products. So we're kind of thinking short term and long term. And in the first product, um, it's not genetically modified yet, but it tastes yeah. great. I read in the article that the, which really excited me is that you can tone up or, or tone down the level of caffeine or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. So you're the second person today to bring this up, which means we should definitely do it. Um, we've like tested it and everyone is super excited about it. But one of the really cool things about compound is that coffee is very diverse and we know yeah. this, right? Like, honestly, I drink better coffee here than we do in Costa Rica because as a, an exporting country, we export our best. Luckily, there's like this movement around like specialty coffee in Costa Rica now and a couple of coffee shops that are doing a great job. But um, you can have like 1820 or Bolio or Brit and they all can taste very different, right? If you want to change yeah. that flavor profile as a roaster, you can kind of try to change some of your processes. If you're a farmer, you're kind of at the mercy of sun and rain. Well, in our case, we're really trying to understand what each of our components does to our flavor profile. And our goal is that that's going to help us create different flavor profiles quicker because we can be like, you don't like it that bitter? We can change that. You don't like it that acidic? We can change that. <laughs> And, at, and in the same component, we can change the functionality. So I want to drink coffee all day. I'm drinking cold brew right now. I want to have a hot coffee in the afternoon. Like, I just want to drink coffee all day. And I have to stop at 3 p.m. because then I can't sleep. So that was the idea of, like, what if we could have, like, a dose, that like, something that tastes equally good but has less caffeine for the afternoon and something that has a lot more caffeine or yes. just the same in the morning. Um and we've and we found people are really excited about that capacity to like tune things, which I think it's key to. Yeah, our super excited because, for example, I realized that I used to drink a lot of coffee at the bank because I thought that I liked coffee, and I like it. But then I quit the bank, and then I was at my house the next morning, first day after quitting the bank, I was drinking coffee, and I'm like, I feel like an idiot just drinking coffee by myself. And then I realized it was like a social thing for me. Yeah. I love having something to sip on when I'm talking to people. And then three years ago, I started to realize that coffee actually gave the caffeine, caffeine to coffee gave me like, I got like, tachycardia. like I was feeling nervous. I was just Jitter. like the jitters. And then I stopped drinking coffee like in 2017 or 18. Now I just drink decaf like maybe once a month. But I'm really curious. What I love the most about coffee, apart from the social side of it, is the the ritual. You know, like yeah. putting it yeah. in the French in the French press, waiting for it, pouring it, a, a little bit of milk, a little bit of sugar, and how would that experience change? I would for sure buy compound coffee because I love the idea that it doesn't have like a, a negative footprint on earth. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's, it's like 90% the social aspect and 10% the ritual. I could care less if it comes from the mountains of Colombia or El Salvador or Costa Rica. I mean, obviously there's like a emotional side of it where I'm like, Oh, this is Costa Rican coffee, but yeah, yeah. it could be from like Egypt. And I would still believe people, you know, I, I can't tell where the coffee's from. 
Yeah. How would the experience change? Yep. So that is really important to me because coffee for me means a lot. Like I drink a lot of it, but I actually learned to drink. Like I started drinking coffee seriously in school in Canada and I was like drinking it. And then I got to Costa Rica and I was like, what the hell have I been drinking? You know, it was like, like Canadian, like gross university coffee shop coffee. Um, But it became like an absolute tool for me to study. And it just like, I I just love the way that it made me feel. And my family gets together like every Friday um, to have coffee. It's just like el café. And it's like, that's where my family gets It's like very central to, to, to me. And I also think it's like this amazing thing where it's like, you can like the most, like with the person you admire the most and at Deloitte, it was a huge tool for me to be like, do you want to grab a coffee? And nobody will say no, because it's like, they'll sit down and they'll have a coffee and it's not a full meal and they can do it in 15 or 20 minutes and you can talk to people. So it's it's not messy. It's not like, yeah, it's like you miss. can go for a walk, yeah. you can sit down, you can sit in like a corner. And it was like such a tool during my time at Deloitte to meet people that I like admire that were like way more senior to be like, would you like to grab a coffee and tell me about your career? And I still do it, right? I'm like, do you want to grab a coffee? So I think it's like a huge connection tool and I definitely want us to keep that. So in our roadmap, our first product is a cold brew, but our second product is we want to do ground coffee because we want people to keep that ritual. We want people to be able to do it however we like it. If you want it in a French press, in a pour over, however you like it. Um, but that is kind of like in our second um, kind of uh, product in a roadmap. Yeah, in a roll up. Uh, the first one will be a cold brew, which is a little bit different. Um, it's a lot more like American, I would say. In Costa Rica, we don't drink a lot of cold brew. But the goal is that you'll, you'll buy it at coffee shops and it'll be kind of like the first interaction that people have with coffee. But we really want to lean on to that moment of like connection. Um, also in our interviews, we've learned it's like even more important for some people for moms. Some of them are like, this is like the five minutes I get for myself, you know, (laughs) before like chaos starts. It's like, I can have a cup of coffee and it's like for me, or for some people, it's like, that's all I want to do on a Saturday afternoon, you know, drink a coffee and read a book. It's, it can become really important for people. And and we definitely want to keep that. And just to like wrap up that thought, it's also why I want our messaging to be positive and empowering. Like, I don't want it to be a guilt trip, climate change purchase. Yeah. Oh, that's huge. To me, uh, actually, I was just thinking my brother's, my brother Kurt's uh, girlfriend. Who is hilarious, by the way. Pa- yeah, Pao is hilarious too. Pao, I don't know if you know, but she's going to love this episode because she's the founder, owner of Cabra Negra. Aha, which, which, I've been there. A, it's amazing. Which is a coffee shop. And they went to San Francisco. They went to, oh, it, it, it might've been nice to go see you when they went to San Francisco because she yeah. loves... Like when they go to New York or Los Angeles or San Francisco or Peru, they like, it's a, it's a coffee, it's coffee tourism for Pao mm-hmm. and she's going to love yeah. this, but not just because of Pao and, and my brother, but, and my mom, but coffee has been <clears throat> like in my childhood big time because my stepmom used to own a coffee company, like exporting big amounts of coffee from El Salvador. My stepmom's from El Salvador and I lived in El Salvador. And I remember it was like, she, it was a big thing for her. It was a big company. And she, she made like a lot of money in 96 or 95 or something to the point that she took the entire family, like 19 of us all paid for it to Disney, to Disney world. 
everything, everything, all the brothers and cousins and everybody went. It was insane. And then in 1999 or 2000 or 98, the market collapsed for, I don't remember what happened exactly. You probably know more about it, but the price of coffee went down. Everybody, like everybody in El Salvador, except maybe like one or two companies went broke. Like, And then the, the bank started to knock on the door. Yeah. Knock on the door. It was, it was horrendous for, for everybody. And, and then on that topic, because my, my childhood, I, I lived in Costa Rica until I was 10. Then I moved to El Salvador for four years and Mexico, but those four years. And even before I lived there, cause I used to visit El Salvador a lot. All I did with my dad and my stepmom often, like on a weekly, I used to go to El Beneficio which is the coffee mm-hmm. plantation and where they used to, I don't know what the word is like roast or whatever, but it was like in Aguachapan in El Salvador by the border with Guatemala. And I noticed in the article, in one of the articles, you said, how do you simultaneously try to help the planet and the livelihoods of so many people in many cases, Costa Rican people or Salvadorian people or Colombian people. Yeah. And you said, we're partnering up with NGOs we're making sure that these people don't get just neglected or out of business. What, what, what do you have in place and and how are you going to assist these people? Because some people may be like, well, you're taking our jobs. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, right now you're not going to, I mean, it's, it's small, but the potential is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think about it a lot. And I think it's also like when we were talking about like earlier, um, like founder market fit, like it makes a difference that I'm leading this company coming from Costa Rica and having yeah, visited big. coffee farms and having people like you who are like, you know, my um, sister-in-law has a coffee shop and my stepmom used to have a coffee. Like it's so part of our business, of our yeah. lives, right? It's like my friend's family have a coffee. Like it's just very ingrained in who, I, who we are, which means those faces have names and has and have families 100%. and we like understand who they are. And um, I actually think it, it makes a big difference versus some of my competitors who are like no idea. They have like never been on a coffee farm. They don't really understand. Um, so this is very tricky for us. And um, I think about it a lot in terms of like, what do we do? And we are ha- fleshing out a bunch of different projects. We'll announce them um, hopefully early next year around what we're doing. But we've done a really in-depth study of understanding what are the problems that people have. And the reality is the number one challenge coffee farmers are facing today, it's not compound foods, it's climate change. It's yeah. the fact that they're not getting enough rain or they're getting too much rain. Or now that the temperature is changing, you know how they have to bring pickers at certain time to like pick yes. the coffee, but they don't have it all the time. So sometimes they bring the pickers and the coffee's not ready and they're paying for people to just be there. And then they leave and then the coffee's ready and it gets wasted, right? Like those are the kind of problems that they're having today. And that's yeah. the reason that many, many coffee farms in Costa Rica are selling out. They're selling out for commercial um, real estate development. You know, yeah, coffee used to be like 80% of our GDP. And I think it's less than three now because it's just like less of a profitable business than it used to be. So we're thinking about what is our role here. And we've had conversations with anyone and everyone who's trying to help coffee farmers. And our thinking process is like, what is the role of compound in helping these people transition into a climate resilient future? It is not like, how do we help them keep going with coffee production? Because if we believe the science to be true, which we do, it's not going to get better. 
You know, yeah. it's not like coffee is going to get better in quality. It's not like yields are going to get better. It's actually going to get more and more complicated. So what are the conversations that we need to have with these people around? What are other opportunities that they can do with their land that they can ensure that what they have now is something that they can transition into the future? Um, and how do we train them with the skill sets to do that? So it's kind of not thinking like coming back kind of like full circle to like when I was in university and saying like, giving people money doesn't help, right? Like charity doesn't help. What helps is actually like giving them the tools um, to, you know, solve the problems in a sustainable way. We're kind of bringing all that together um, in our partnerships, but we're currently still fleshing them out and still having those conversations. I love that. Going back to how the, the yields have been affected, if yields are affected because you can't predict rain and you can't predict climate change and everything's being less successful in terms of the crops, that means that the price is going up. And that mm-hmm. means that a lot of these people, even if they want to continue, they're going to go out of business and only the big guest of companies are going to be able to, to weather the storm. And they're going to, a lot of these small, small crop, uh, small farmers, coffee farmers are going to be pushed out of business anyways. So mm-hmm. I love that, that you're saying that I always feel, <laughs> I always feel when I go into Starbucks or whatever, or like a, or like second cup here in Canada you know how you go into a coffee shop and they have like pictures of the coffee picker, like and like the guys like all dusty and I, I feel like sometimes I'm gonna like walk in I'm gonna be like don't <laughs> hold like I'm gonna recognize one of these people because I've 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 like grew I grew up in El Salvador going to the coffee plantations and El Salvador has a has a big big. Ex- export of coffee still now yeah. Um, yeah. but I like that that you're basically saying we're not going to give the fishermen money or well, not the fishermen we're not we're not going to give them money we're going to teach them how to fish so that they can do it themselves and adjust to the climate resilient future. I don't know if those are the right words, but it sounds yeah. Uh, it yeah. Sounds so that's that's where we that's where we're working on, and we and we definitely don't want to come in there and be like we know all the answers because we don't because we are trying to find answers for a different problem, and that is why we're we're trying to partner with people that do have the answers, and we're like, okay, how do we marry these two things together to help you propel versus coming, you know, stumping in and be like, I know what to do. Yeah, exactly. Now. Well, for sure, I would buy it 100%. Probably I, if, I, if I were to find Compound Coffee or whatever the new name of, because Compound is, is the name of, of your company, but what would we call the coffee that doesn't come from coffee beans? We call it beanless coffee. Is that a, t- a term that you coined or, or it's in the industry? Um, we're going we're gonna to make it an industry term. <laughs> I love that. Well, if I were to find beanless coffee at Starbucks, I would for sure buy a hundred percent. I'm even starting to buy like, like a lot of people would say 15 years ago, I will never buy a burger. That's not real meat. And everybody's buying them now. You know, I'm buying meatless burgers. Everybody's buying them. So And I think it's because we're we're also understanding a lot more about the implications of it and how things are made. And, you know, a big thing for me as well, which um, 
we kind of started talking about food is there's so many different foods that we're making. And the reality of it is if we want to feed an extra billion people, we need to produce food more efficiently, right? Like yeah, you look at the 100%. earth and like we're eating it already, right? And like, we want to feed more people. We need to do it more efficiently. And coffee is amazing because of connection and delicious, et cetera. But also people try funky coffee. People try coffee that was pooped by a cat. People drink coffee that was pooped by an elephant. You know, they will try different coffee. And yeah. my hope is that it will also serve as a wedge for it to be like a friendly product that you can try and open your mind to then try, you know, things like chicken and beef that have also been made in, in alternative ways, because it's not about changing what we're making is how we're making it. And we're just trying yeah. to make it more efficient. Um, so that hopefully it will be part of our role in the ecosystem. Love it. Now I want to, now I want to talk, talk about Maricela as, as a founder. And this is like my, this is one of my favorite topics and it's basically like achievement versus fulfillment. And part of when you're an entrepreneur is every second that you're having fun or not working every second that you're, you're having fun is the second that you're not working. And it's very hard sometimes, especially if your paycheck depends on the success of the company yeah. to disconnect and yeah. not be Maricel, the founder, compound foods all day and it takes a toll i mean i'm happy that i've become a dad in many ways because otherwise i would just try i would just try to like perform all day and write all day and do comedy all day and sell all day because i need to me this is like a chip on my shoulder i need to prove myself that i can be successful I, i mean i already did but it was a big thing that i can be successful And not just like successful, but also in like financial terms, not at the bank. And yeah. it, it it's necessary to disconnect in many ways to give your mind a rest because it's it's not efficient to or effective to be thinking about work all day. So what does Maricel do <laughs> as the founder, as as an entrepreneur to disconnect? Yeah. And and be more present because right now you're thinking, oh, the the second round of uh, fi of of uh, investing or this or where you already did cold brew. Now we got to do this, blah blah blah. So like, how do you prevent to not be in the future all day to enjoy the present and be Marisa, the friend, uh, the daughter, the runner, or the partier? How do you disconnect? Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely have not figured this out. Uh, I don't want to be, you know, preaching what I don't practice. Uh, so I will say that this is one is very, very hard for me um, for a couple of reasons. One, um, it's just very intense. And like, yeah. it's also like, it's hard to stop thinking about it. Also, like the thing I used to do for myself was to get a cup of coffee. So now it's like, great, you know, like before it's like, oh, I need a break. I'm going to go get a coffee. Now it's like, wait, what does it mean? You know, how does it taste? Like, it's just like, <laughs> it was my thing. So I've enjoyed it. I've actually taken with this project, a little bit of a different approach where it's like the less I separate the two Mary cells, the easier it is for me to just be myself. So oh, instead so of good. feeling like I have to like put a front when I go to the office and then go home and like hang up the coat, you know, and like think, oh, be able to finally be myself. I like kind of let be myself in the office too. And that means that I'm like, you know, clumsy and quirky. And like my team knows that I don't know everything. And sometimes I'm like really tired. I'm like, I just need to go home. And that like 
honesty and authenticity of also being myself at work allows me to not feel like I have to like fully unplugged when I get home. Right. Um, and that brings sometimes, you know, being, having conversations with my team about what's going on with my family and how that's affecting why, you know, I'm going to have to, you know, this week, I'm not just not fully there. So for me, kind of like started treating them as one person also allows me to like nurture one person. Right. And be yes. like, Marisol, the founder also needs to disconnect. She also needs to invest in herself, right? She also needs to exercise. Uh, it's not like the 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 one that has fun. Um, so I feel like trying to just be one person has made it a little bit easier for me because it le- it feels less than like putting up a show, um, and it also feels like it is all connected, right? And yeah. um, I have understood that investing in my self care and my mental health. And it is actually investing in the company as well. I remember one time I had a conversation with this woman um, and I was like telling her all the things that were going wrong. And she was like, this all sounds fine. What's going on with you? And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> she was like, you sound like you're not okay. This was like in the, um, when I was still at Nexbiotics. And she told me, if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of your team and you can't help the world. It's like, if you can't help yourself, you can't help your team, you can't help the world, right? And it's like, if your goal is to help the world, start by helping yourself. And I think about that all the time where it's like, if I'm feeling really burnt out to keep going, it's going to be detrimental to everyone. I don't have like a good routine, I would say, of the things that I do, but I am getting better at saying I need a break and doing things like getting out of the city. And uh, I try to do things that don't let me think. So that's why I like things like skiing, which is like a very Northern thing to do. We don't do a lot of that in Costa Rica, but you have to, if you live in Canada and want to be okay with the winter, be like, yeah, yeah great. At least there's snow. <laughs> uh, with something that is like so manual that if I'm not paying attention, I'll fall to like disconnect. Um, yes. And then I, I try to, you know, I also lowered my expectations a little bit. I think it's like really hard to be like the best CEO, the best friend, the best girlfriend, the best daughter, the best aunt, the best, all of this. And it's like, just, I communicate with everybody. Like, I'm trying to do the best that I can and I will nurture my relationships and I take time for them. But I also, I'm like less hard on myself because otherwise yeah. you feel like, you know, you just can't, can't do everything. Um, and I try to do things like writing. It really helps me like journaling and, um, reading i'm so boring i've actually really put to bed like mary saw the partier definitely that's why i was like oh the days that used to be fun you know i would go to a comedy show by myself i miss that um but i've also learned that i recharge in different ways it's taken a lot of um kind of like meditation and like understanding myself to be like yeah how do i feel recharged and if you meet me you say she's an extrovert I am in many cases, you know, I love being around people. If there's like interesting conversations and people that I love, you know, they leave my house and I'm like, oh, that was amazing. Yeah. But sometimes they're also because that kind of goes on the flip side. If it's an environment that I don't like, it can be very draining for me to be around people, um, you know, that are like taking a lot. So I kind of combine it. Sometimes I like, I want to be around friends. And then sometimes I'm like, I want to be at home, you know, sit on my floor and paint I like do I like have a book where I just like color in um I kind of like mix those two together and be okay with not being fully one or the other oh my god that was such a brilliant answer I have so many comments because this is like right up my alley first of all 100% like being unhappy is inefficient it's in it's unproductive so like you said you have to pay yourself first to be able to pay the company if you're good the company wins and then the other thing is I like when you said that 
you do stuff like skiing that takes your mind off of work or whatever. And and Naval, actually, I, I say this a lot, but he says people think that they want peace of mind, but what they really want is peace from mind. So you don't want your mind to be peaceful. You want to be not in the mind. You want to be have peace from the mind. That's why a lot of people resort to surfing because you can't be like, oh, you know what? In, in the middle, on top of the wave, you can be like, oh, you know what? I forgot to send that email. I should have said, you can't. You're climbing. in the middle. Yeah, climbing, skiing, surfing. My favorite is scuba diving, but the water here is so cold. Yeah, I mean, I've never done it, but it, it, it sounds like a lot of people say it's amazing. And to your point, it's, I love it when, when you said like, you're just nurturing the one version. And I feel like, lowering the expectations, being your authentic self. I've written, like, first of all, I haven't put on a suit and tie, maybe like once for a wedding in like four years or whatever. But I felt like my identity, I had different identities at the bank. I was the banker. Then outside of it, I was like the partier when I was partying. Then I was the comedian on stage. And it's it's hard to kind of maneuver through all of these. Now I'm just me, you know, yeah. everywhere. and And it's really good. I heard this on a, I had a pod, in, in a podcast once and the question was, do you think there's like, how do you achieve work-life balance? And she said, a, a CEO from San Francisco, I think, she said, I don't believe in work-life balance. I believe in work-life integration. Like it's like integrated. It's sometimes you just need to be 90% work. Sometimes you'll be 90% mom, but it's like integrated and they, yeah. it's like moving pieces. And yeah. Also, to your point, you can't like trying to be someone else. It's draining. And that self-awareness as to what drains you is key because as someone who studies high performance a lot and you are 100% a high performer, what, what makes people so the people who have accomplished extraordinary things do them by not mitigating their weaknesses. Obviously, you have to be at a certain level to perform well, but not by mitigating their weaknesses, but really by doubling down on their strengths and having the self-awareness of knowing you can't double down on your strengths if you don't know your strengths. Yeah. So uh, I this this is fascinating. I'm, I'm really curious because I have I have my own hypothesis. Do you know what your top strengths are? Like, have you done some of these tests or have people told you? Because I have my hypothesis to, as to what your oh, key strengths are. I want to hear it. Um, I feel like I've done this test. I don't remember. I I always say that one of my superpowers is convincing people. And like, I think I, we convince people to like give us money. And then I convince people to like join the team. <laughs> and it's like, you know, just like convincing people to do things. Um, I would say one of my strengths, let's see if it's true, is... Um, I put a lot of, I have a lot of energy and then I yeah. drink coffee. People are like, why do you drink coffee? But I have a lot of energy, which is, it can be good and it can be bad because I think if I have positive energy, it can be very like contagious, but if I have negative energy as well. So like learning to mitigate that, um, ha has like, I can use it as a strength and right? it's like, if I'm like super, I can be super inspiring, but I can also be like, so when I'm having a bad day, I just work from home because I, I don't need to bring that energy to work. I want to bring that energy when I'm like, you know, like 
I'm like, my team's coming for like a Thanksgiving potluck for lunch today. Right. And it's like that, those are the things that are like, I'm excited. You guys, you guys can come. If that wasn't the case, I'll be like, let's go to a restaurant. So like kind of trying to like learn how my energy can be positive and negative and then like mitigate that. Yeah. I, I think it's one of my strengths. And then I, I, I talk a lot. Well, I think so. These are, these are my five key strengths for you. Okay. Nice. I'm going to write them down. Uh, and if you do the Meyer, the Meyer, like the 16 personalities test or the, I should do it the, again because I did it two and a half, no, four years ago. I feel like I'm probably yeah. And then, and then there's another one called the, oh my God, I, I, I recommend it all the time, but it's like the uh, Gruber report. I don't know. Anyways. So you can send it to me after. Yeah. So it gives you like, everybody has approximately under this test that I forgot the name 34 strengths, but the 20 bucks gets you your top five strengths and it explains specifically why they are your top five strengths and how you should double down on these. So it's really crazy because you feel like they've been spying. We think that we're unique and we are, but we're very predictable as humans. So these are your top five strengths and I would, I would be willing to put some money on this. So, okay. I'm going to do the test and then let you know. Uh, so um, the strengths are in four quadrants and I'm actually going to pull them up because this is really interesting. So these are your top five strengths, communication, execution. You make shit happen. I, you need somebody like Maricel on your team. A hundred percent learner. You, you are curious and you learn a lot. And, oh yeah. So those are three. And energetic. So there's one called like woo or like high energy. So you get people to do stuff based on your energy. And your fifth, I would say, is authenticity. I don't even know if slash influencing, I would say. So here it is. I found it now. So the four quadrants are executing, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. So you'll get your top five strengths and these five strengths will fall under these four quadrants. Mm -hmm. And I think you will have a lot more in executing, maybe two or three of your top five will be in executing and influencing, but also you're pretty strategic thinking. So I don't know. I would just say, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think strategic thinking has been um, an interesting one for me because I find that it's like exactly what we were talking right before the podcast where it's like, all of a sudden we're like series A and then like the plumber calls because the dishwasher doesn't work. And it's like that context <laughs> switching, which is like, like that, you know, like the dishwasher needs to run so we can clean things so we can execute another experiment. But like, I yeah. also need to, so like those things are hard for context switching. So I've done things which are really key um, around creating the environment for it. So mm. I, for example, went for three days to an Airbnb in the mountains. It helps that my boyfriend's also a founder, which also we obviously bring work home. And then we went and it's like, all this weekend we're going to do is think. And before I went to that weekend, I wrote down like the five questions that I wanted to think about and just like no emails, no laptop and just yes. like think. And that I feel like comprising that like strategic thinking into pieces was like, oh, nice. I don't have to do it for a bit because I like solved those problems. I can go back to executing. So building that environment where it's like, now I'm in execution mode. Now I'm in strategic thinking mode allows you to do like a little bit of both. Uh, but I'm definitely more in like the day-to-day you know yeah you you look and you sound like and you act like an executor you make shit happen and that's why you're the founder you get stuff and you also 
have, really good at influencing. So you get people that get shit to happen. Like you mm-hmm. may not make it happen, but I think that's what a founder does. You need to be able to influence and execute so that things happen. Cause you may not be the one who knows every single technical thing, but you are the one that can make things happen. And then uh, uh, Gallup report, it's called the Gallup report. Double L. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They have yeah a book. The Gallup report. And then based on what you just said about the Airbnb, inspiration is perishable. And you don't get it all the time. So as soon as you get it, you need to write it down because it may not come back or which not a lot of people can't do. You go to an Airbnb for three days and you do what needs to be done. In my case, I write the comedy special like or I, I do what I need to do write down. Sometimes I get up at five in the morning and I write like comedy skits that I need to do for like uh, like agencies that I'm doing like videos for or, or copyright for. So really good. Okay. So we're coming towards the end, but I have before the rapid fire, I noticed in the photo of one of these articles that girls, women are the majority of your team. I saw I one was just guy. Gonna say, I've been thinking about that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, we have another guy now. I was just going to say when we were think, talking about all this, that like one of the key things for me has been team building when we're thinking about like executing and like the number one thing that I've been focused on the last quarter has been on hiring and building the team. And it's also the thing that I am the most proud of. Like it's something that I love going to work. I like open the door and I see that and I'm like, I love being here and I love that people are here. And something that I told my team that exact day that they told me that it looked like a different person, I said, Compound is an expression of me, but part of my job is to make sure that it's also an expression of each of you, that you can find out what you want to do. And the amazing thing about joining an early stage startup is like, I have a food scientist who helps me with my Instagram because she's awesome (laughs) and also helps me like plan my retreat. Right. And then like, I have like my fermentation director who like loves to cook. So she's like, I'll take point on like the, the team dinner. And it's like, go ahead, do your thing. It doesn't have to be all an expression of me. Um, and yeah, we are a lot of women. I don't, I initially, it was like, we were just hiring the best candidates. And now I think it's also like cycling because then you have all this powerful women who've been in environments where they're like not appreciated or they have to deal with yeah. bullshit. They're like, this sounds so refreshing, right? Like I want to join. So it's actually helped us get amazing talent as well. Um, so it's like this kind of like really fun cycle. Um, but it creates a different culture as well. And it brings, it allows us for also to be more authentic. And that thing, when I was talking about of like myself, the founder, myself, the person, it's the same for my team. And I know if like someone's sister is visiting, if someone's going through a hard time at work, and we were just talking about someone in my team's like her daycare situation, you know, like I also, we open the door for those conversations because you are one human, right? And we support you. It's like, hey, your kid is changing daycare. It's fine. You know, this week you don't have to be on top of everything because we know you'll pick it up next week. But if we don't know, right, then it's hard to be supportive of people if you don't know. So um, around team building, my whole kind of philosophy is we hire the best talent that we can. We hire for cultural fit, people that want to grow, that want to learn, that are not going to be assholes. And when they show up, we treat them as people, whole human, um, and try to take out like to allow them to express the best of themselves. Yeah. And the, and the company is, is just a reflection of the founder. Like if you're uptight, they're going to be uptight, but if you're relaxed and you're yourself, they can be themselves. So that's, that's really good. And, and to echo what you just said, uh, I, 
there's this book that I always mention on the podcast really quickly. It's called The E-Myth. I think you would love it, by the way. Have you read The E-Myth? No. The E-Myth? No, E-Myth. E, ah, small the E-Myth. E no, but I've seen it. Okay, so Michael E. Gerber. Incredible. So the main premise is E-Myth means the entrepreneurial myth. And the entrepreneurial myth says that people who think, people who are good at the technical at the technical job think that they be that because they're good at the technical job, they should start a company that does the technical job, mm. but it's false because if you're really good. So if somebody is really good at baking pies, a lot of people say, Oh, then I should start a bakery, but no, because the skill set of baking pies is very different than the skill set required to run a business that, that bakes pies. pies. Yeah. So it says that there's three different skill sets in a business. There's this, the technical person who does the pies, who bakes the pies, the manager who does the day-to-day, -day, the present, who runs the company, and then the entrepreneurial skill set required to think towards the future. And it is very rare, like all of us have this, the three skills, but it is very rare that one person will have a strong skill set of the three so yeah. our job is to find out where do we fit are we the technical guy are we the the managerial person or are we the entrepreneurial person because a lot of people especially at banks or whatever they're like oh you're really good at excel you should become a manager but the manager deals deals with people maybe people. that's not your skill set and that's a whole nother animal so i think that um you've been able to really identify and have that self-awareness as to what you do best and learn from previous stints in other ventures to be able to be, do, be the best that you can be at compound foods. Yeah. And also being leaning into that, like take some investment, right? It's kind of like what, then you read books around like, how are you best? How are you the best at X? One example um, really quick is my, my boyfriend is a AI engineer and he was the CTO of his company for a long time. A couple of years ago, they switched and he became CEO. And for me, it was weird because all of a sudden he wasn't coding all night, but he was on calls all day and his job like <laughs> fundamentally changed. And he changed the way that he thought about the business, wow. the way that he wow. laid out the strategy, the books that he was reading, the conversations that we were having, he was leaning more right onto like the entrepreneur manager side versus the technical side. And I really think he's thriving, but it took a lot from him to one, make that change. And also then now learn this whole thing, right? It's like before you just have to like sit down and code and tell people what to code, but now <laughs> it's like people problem. Right. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's important to know that you also have to invest in it and like want to be good at it and, and takes time. So you're not in the same company. He has a different company. No, he has his own company, yeah. And what's the name? What's the name? It's called Minds DB. Um, and they do um I'm gonna screw it up, but they do AI um as a product to sit on <laughs> databases so that people that have really large databases and want to do predictive models don't have to hire data scientists, but kind of amplify their data by using their product. Wow, that's pretty good. A pretty that's good explanation. Very different, which is great too. <laughs> amazing okay so rapid fire here okay you, you don't have to ans answer rapidly but if you can it'll make it more exciting for our listeners okay complete the statement i lose track of time when i i'm reading what has been one of your happiest moments uh, when my nephew was born 
What are three things you would like to be doing in three years? In three years that I would like to be doing? Uh, I would like to be selling product. I would like to be running more. And I would like to be... Um, what else? Well, I would like the company to be bigger. Scaling. So I would like to be leading a larger team. Beautiful. If you could invite three people to your home for dinner, dead or alive, mm-hmm. who would they be? Jacqueline Novogratz. She's the founder of Acumen Fund that does a lot of uh, oh impact social God. impact investment. I listened to Jacqueline Novogratz's episode on the Tim Ferriss podcast. Did you listen to it? No. Oh my God, you're going to lose your shit. Her book, The Blue Sweater, was my favorite book for years. And she was, remember how I told you that I like changed this perspective around how it was all about her. And I, w- I went one time to see her speak at um, SF- SFU uh, in Vancouver. And she's just an amazing woman. I would love to have dinner with her anytime. Listen to her episode on the Tim Ferriss podcast. You're going to lose it. It's, I didn't even know who she was and I fell in love with her immediately. Cool. incredible yeah. episode okay okay that's one that's <laughs> one um another one which you probably don't know but it's this woman called helena and she has like a low alcohol aperitif brand um actually not that far here in northern california but i just love her approach and her product and i would love to have dinner with her and then the third one which is very different um i think angela merkel i think i would love to talk mm. to her because she's just like such a badass woman, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> boss women. I love it. No, actually, I mean, some guys can come to dinner too. They're parent, they're partners. <laughs> <laughs> Share an interesting thing about yourself that not many people would know. An interesting thing about myself that not a lot of people would know. Um, so I think I'm really funny. You can gauge that probably in another conversation. And a couple of people have told me that I should do stand-up comedy. And like, sometimes I go on a roll and it's really funny. <laughs> yeah, you had a lot of good bits today. Like the delivery is is spot on, especially you had like solid punches. And I was like, that could be a bit. That could be a yeah, bit. But I didn't yeah, want to interrupt I like, you. I, I had a friend who does um, stand up comedy. And he one time I was like at a beach telling a story. And then he goes on and he's like, you should you should think about it. But I don't know. <laughs> I would, I would be embarrassed. You know what? I'll tell you like in five seconds what you do really well. You know what you, you could do to get laughs. So part of the thing that makes people laugh, obviously comedy is truth and pain or tragedy plus time. So beautiful things are not funny. Truth, like real stuff, true stuff or relatable stuff. Like, Oh yeah, that happened to me. That's true. It's funny because it's true. That's the truth part. And the pain part is when you share like shitty things that happened to you, And you connect with people through vulnerability and authenticity. But the other thing that makes people laugh, the definition of a punch is surprise, the element of surprise. Mm -hmm. So not just the surprise, because you've said stuff that is unexpected and that's why you get the laugh. But the other thing you do really well and how people get laughs is you simply change the rhythm of whatever you're saying. So you speak really fast, you're high energy. So just by deaccelerating and saying something slower, you're going to get a laugh, which you have today. So you can mm. go like, boing, and that gets a laugh. Obviously, you, okay, don't, I laugh. Yeah, you, you don't have to do the sounds, but in your narrative, you go, and I don't know. So okay, I'll practice, I'll practice. Just I feel by like doing, I do this. I feel like it would be fun. Yeah, I think you would be amazing because 
again, people are just a reflection of the speaker in the audience. And you're very high energy. You're very authentic. So on to the next one. What is one thing? The what? One thing you can't live without. Unfortunately, my phone. (laughs) Yeah, very unfortunate. But I mean, when I don't like, I actually find actually a good reflection of myself. is like, if I don't know where my phone is, if I'm like, where's my phone? And like, I left it in the bathroom for an hour. I'm like, great. I love it. Being present. Who is the first person that comes to mind when you hear the word successful? My dad. If you had six months left to live, how would you spend them? Oh, I would be working. Um, I would probably move from like building this company if I only had six months to more of like climate policy and just be like, I have six months to live, you know, please do these changes from like a regulatory (laughs) standpoint. (laughs) What lesson did you have to learn the hard way? Oy, um, that the most important thing about working with people is like making sure that you're value aligned. And that doesn't mean people are good or bad. It just means you, you think about problems in the same way or you think about values in the same way. Oh, so good. Core values. When we drafted our core values for our company, it was like the most satisfying thing ever. If you're aligned, it's like satisfying. If you're not, it's like, oh. Yeah, it's horrible. So that's what we that's why we said product market founder fit yeah and what was a major turning point in your life that changed the direction your life was heading definitely when i came to the bay area oh i thought you were gonna say when i quit law school when i when i didn't pursue law uh studying law in costa rica well yeah that one as well maybe this one's more recent but the thing is like i discovered this whole new world when i came to the bay area that felt so foreign to me when i was in canada from like a distance and like mentally as well um that it it definitely felt like a turning point and it feels like you belong it feels like you finally found a lot of like high performance people who love about who care about the world who want to change the world and really take advantage of leverage to do it on a big scale. I, and I love being surrounded by the people. We had like a, a couple of Latin founders come for dinner last week and it was like amazing. It was like El Salvador, Colombia, Guatemala, Brazil, Cuba. And like everyone building different things and having interesting conversations. And it's that moment when you're like, yeah, I belong here. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, that's amazing. And it, it's validating too. Like I belong, like you believe it. And it's so good. So we've come to the final question of the entire episode, which is called the champagne question. Every guest gets this question and it goes like this. Okay. If we were to meet a year from now in person with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating in Maricel's life? Oh, we'll be celebrating uh, our product launch. And what is the product? We'll drink like half champagne, half coffee, and we can make it like a new drink. Yes. And what is, what is the product? look like for people who are not part of uh or who are not in it would would it be like you go a to coffee? a coffee shop and you and you ask for a cold brew and they'll be like do would you like beanless coffee and they'll be like yeah they'll be like we have compound and they'll like serve it to you on tap and you'll drink it and you'll be like this is the best coffee i've had <laughs> that's amazing first in san francisco or are you looking to do it in the states costa rica canada it will definitely be in the U.S. City-wise, we're still thinking through which one is, um, you know, New York, L.A., San Francisco, where where would we be? Um, so that's still TBD, but it'll definitely be in the U.S. Oh, my God. So exciting. 
anything that happens, I want to know about it. I want to tell all my followers, we want to follow you and we want to, uh, uh, and we want to follow you posting more on Instagram and not yeah. feeling like you're bragging because you have a really exciting life, but you deserve it. Like it's a matter of fact, and, and you've accomplished this. Obviously you've had incredible parents and incredible people that have helped you along the way, but you deserve all the credit. Uh, so proud of you. So happy. That, so fun. Yes. I've actually so, learned so much. I took notes. It was great. <laughs> I think you would. So your homework, uh, Jacqueline yeah. Novogratz's episode and Tim Ferriss. on the Tim Ferriss podcast, Naval, three-hour episode on how to become i read his book so i think i oh like okay the the almanac the the naval yeah. Manac? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay three-hour podcast if you want because i've listened no joke i've listened to it like 12 times okay i'll try it i'm obsessed with it and then the e-myth by michael e gerber it's like the number one rated book of small businesses and you're gonna love and it. i also have to do my strength finder yes the gallup report and the 16 personalities that one is free, 16 personalities. The Gallup report is 20 bucks. And there's another one called Enneagram or something with a double N. You just Google Enneagram test and it's very similar to these, but it gives you additional insights. Right. And that, my friend, is how we come to the end. Amazing. Of- this incredible episode with Maricel, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy to to call you my my distant friend. I know we've only seen each other like three times in real life, but I've enjoyed following your hey, journey. I have friends that I have uh, met less than that. So with this virtual <laughs> world, it'll count. Thank you so much for having me, Stefan, and for your amazing work making people laugh. I think it's so important. Thank you, Maricel. Big hug. Any any closing remarks? Um, not really. I'm four minutes late to a call. <laughs> okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Maricel Science, Stefan Dyer on the Stefan Dyer Podcast. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, gracias. Gracias por escuchar el Stefan Dyer Podcast. Arrivederci, my people.